0: This is The Backpass, a podcast for sports nerds, by sports nerds.
1: This week on The Backpass Explains, we break down the idiosyncratic nature of succession planning. We will define it, look at the good, the bad, the interesting, and of course, the Backpass Opinion. Welcome to The Backclass Explains, our series tackling sporting curiosities. I'm your host, Kevin, and this week I am joined by my intrepid comrades, Gurpreet, Shivank and Ali. How are we all doing?
2: Hello. Just waiting for the last five million here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Oh, we still haven't moved past the FFP convos.
2: i keeping continuity in the show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hello. Hello, gentlemen. I'm publicly declaring I'm not going to say hello again to Siobhan, no matter how many times he asks.
3: <laughs> what, what if he meets you somewhere nearby in a hotel, kind of halfway between your house and his house? <laughs> it's a bit of a trek.
1: It'll probably be in the middle of the what, <laughs> Pacific the
2: Tasman. Ocean. The Tasman.
1: The Tasman. Okay, let's get started. So this is somewhat of a subjective topic. So let's start with definitions. Shivank, if I was an alien that just landed on this planet, how would I explain, or how would you explain succession planning to me?
2: Do you want the cynic me to do the explanation or the analytical me to do the explanation? Because I have two sides.
1: Well, let's just say I'm a, um, an intelligent alien. Well, I would have to be. Oh. Yeah.
2: Uh, okay, so I would basically go, it's exactly how Crystal Palace and Punjab King Kings operate, <laughs> but don't do it like them because you want to go upwards in life and not downwards.
3: I, I think there, there is definitely merit to staying consistent, like just being consistent,
2: you nah, know? Yeah, yeah, but look, all jokes aside, um, look, for me, succession planning is to make sure that you have a template for how you operate your sporting franchise or club. and you know, a, a couple of adversities doesn't necessarily affect you, and you can still finish within ten or fifteen points. Oh, sorry, ten or f- yeah, five or ten points from the last season. If you're going down, or if you're going up, you know, sky's the limit. But basically, a path to getting better.
1: So it's, it's it's so you're saying it's like keeping the water level the same um, between season to season. For all intents and purposes, um, I, I'd say it's probably a bit more. If we're if we're diving into a little bit of detail, it's got to be able to like succession planning should be able to handle coaching changes, changing trends in in the league, you know, loss of talented players.
2: I I was trying really hard to say, trying hard not to say, be Brighton, <laughs> but. But yeah, look. If you want to really understand how succession planning should be done, you're you're right, Kevin. It's about being the next Brighton, being the next Brentford, where everything is so structured. You have a plan on how to improve as a club. You have a vision. You have a direction. And if you lose your coach or if you lose your last season's best player, it doesn't actually throw a spanner in the works, and you steep, still keep going. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And I think, I think it's also like kind of, you know, maintaining, so it's kind of not dropping down just because, you know, you've had road bumps, uh, not dropping levels down, but also I think, you know, you have to think of clubs as a business now. And a lot of teams are, are, are an organization, are a business and you have to stay profitable. So you can't be, you know, can't be going into negatives and, you know, bring back a whole bunch of those FFP conversations because, you can have succession planning and go completely bankrupt for trying to be, be that.
0: Yeah, and I guess without wanting to make this sound like some sort of business podcast, because it's not, I, I do think Ali struck on a really good example because if you look at any organization, invariably there are factors that drive success or, or factors that drive stability. And, and part of succession planning for these businesses is identifying contingency. We we saw this during COVID where there was a lot of businesses that didn't have contingency with the way they operated and, and they really struggled. And the same applies for sporting organizations. If you have one or two outstanding individuals that drive your success, whether that be the manager, a Graham Potter for a Brighton or a star player, if something happens or they're sold or they have a poor season, they make a few bad calls, they lose confidence. In order to keep going, you need contingency. And I, I we're going to we're going to start looking at the best examples and the worst examples. I think one of the themes that we're going to see in the worst examples is that contingency wasn't there. There was no alternative. Mm. There was, what if Sir Alex Ferguson retires? Because we all know he will. What are we going to do? It just, there there was no contingency for those businesses.
1: Okay. So that, that position consistency is something that stays true when you, you have great talent or in, in the case of Alec, um, Sir Alex Ferguson, great coaching moving on, which leads me to the good. When I think of the good, at least from an NRL perspective, I think of the, about the Melbourne Storm because they had three essentially immortal players for a decade and they dominated the league consistently. They they were the, the the forerunners for every new type of, whether it was tackling, attacking style, they brought in block structures and all that, mainstreamed all of that. Um, but then, you know, after, I was like 2018 when Billy Slater retired, um, 2019, they were minor premieres. Uh, they won a premiership in 2020, and they won a minor premiers in 2021. So they haven't really dropped off too much, um, and even this season yeah, and, they're still competitive. Yeah,
3: yeah, and even the season after Cronk left Storm, they were in the grand final, and they lost to Cooper Cronk at the grand final, but they made the grand final. So
1: I think a good example um, to talk about is the Red Bull model, um, because it's it's something that like they've they've applied and they've mm. from a profitable standpoint they've made money of.
0: Mm. And and I think this is where Shivank touched on this it, it's all relative right. Uh, it was a really good example I think that you drew Shivank off where you want to operate plus or minus 5 points. And, and and I think for the layman for the alien landing on on earth that is a really good way of explaining things that Red Bull the way they operate, yes, it would be nice if they won the Champions League, but their model is not built around that. They're not Real Madrid or they're not Manchester City where they want to win their league or they want to dominate the Champions League for decades. Their model is to identify talent, to spot it early, perhaps years early, and then to sell at a profit and to be playing at a reasonably high level so that they give that talent a stage, so that you can go to the talent and say, look, you're going to get game time and you're going to play at a high level and then you're going to get a ladder to the next big club. It's a very clear identity. And again, I'll go back to some of the bad examples that will come up in a few minutes. What you'll see is a lack of contingency and a lack of identity.
2: If you look at holistically what Red Bull does, you've got a lot of feeder clubs in the system. You've got New York City, sorry, Red Bull, New York, or whatever they're called. You've got Salzburg in Austria. You've got Leipzig in Germany, plus more. So if you're a coach or if you're a young player in any of these Red Bull systems, anywhere in the Red Bull system, there's an easy way to get to the Bundesliga and RB Leipzig if you just follow the system. There's a lot of coaches that have come through it. There's a lot of players that have come through it. Um, Once you make it to Salzburg or um, Leipzig and you're basically under the shining lights of the Champions League, it's very easy for teams to come and spot you to basically take you up. Um, Jesse Marsh, prime example, used to be a coach in the Red Bull system, Mm. got snapped up by Mm. Leeds. What, What came after that is a totally different story. But hey, Who else would have thought about an American coaching in the Premier League? Had it not been for the Red Bull system, Um, a lot of their players have benefited from something very similar.
0: And and there is that feeder club model, Shivank, which I think is very relevant. But there's also the way you play within those feeder clubs, right? You're you're not. I don't. When you look at Salzburg and you look at Leipzig, for example there are themes in the way they play that are consistent which means you exactly. could you, you could take on a player and you could say we will develop you but we're not going to develop you for say the way a lister play where it's very sort of direct yeah you're going long when need be it is a very modern progressive way of playing which again brings that sense of identity. As a player, you know what you're getting into. And even if Leipzig replaced their coach, you still know that your path to progression is going to be a very predictable one.
2: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And now if we're talking about clubs with feeder systems, who are on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have to look at City Football Group. You've got Mumbai City FC. You've got New York City FC, Melbourne City FC, um, Man City uh, FC. I'm
0: I'm re- I'm really surprised you didn't bring up Kelsey Football Club, who are basically <laughs> a feeder to the Saudi Premier League now. Yeah,
2: yeah, but you know, we're, we're still setting up the example. We're not there yet. So let's revis- revisit this topic in two years.
0: So, sorry, Kevin. I know we're past the FFP episode, but I just I just had to get that in there, mate.
1: No, it's all right. As soon as we mention Man City, we should start talking about it. it's just it's just gonna happen.
0: I mean let's let's be fair, Siobhan brought up feeder clubs, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean the the
3: the Man City the Man City group is an interesting one because how many players from those feeder clubs have actually made it oh, into the
2: exactly one. Oh, exactly one. One, oh,
1: right?
3: That's a bit of trivia. Who, who was and that player?
2: <laughs> Zach yeah. Steffen, the goalkeeper who got shipped out this season. <laughs> He he is the only player to actually make it to Man City from anywhere in the City football group.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. And they're more they're using it
3: more for their loan and their youth products. So they they're getting young, young, promising players and they just ship them out to be like, Go play in Melbourne. Go, go to India or like using the Indian Academy to hopefully find a train, a good player, and then bring it across. And same thing in America. But their their pathways at the moment are nowhere near as well established and defined as, you know, the Red Bull oh. model. Red Bull have really...
2: And it really goes managed. further than that. Like you, with the Red Bull model, you coach in a certain way, you play in a certain way. Yeah. Patrick Vieira used to be the coach of New York City FC. Does he fit into Man City's methodologies? Heck no. Mm.
3: Yeah. So yeah, is he is he in line to be the next you know coach after Pep?
0: Just just going back to what uh, Kevin was saying earlier. I I guess you've got the planning and the analysis that goes on off the field. You've got. I guess in football, you've got your, your director of football. That, that's a model that's used quite commonly. You've obviously got your manager. You've got your coaches and the way they want to be playing, the way they want to be developing players. Going back to the example that, that Kevin had about the storm, again, one of the things that, that, that really impressed me about the way they operated was there always seemed to be this consistent core leadership group on the field. And and yes, that changed. You kind of had different players coming in and out. But you could always tell who their leaders were on the field. I, again, using an example from, from here, from home, you see this all the time with the All Blacks, where we've gone from one coaching regime to another. You could really closely identify those on-field leaders. Do we think that's a factor in, in good succession planning as well?
3: I think strong leadership definitely helps carry over. I mean, look at... <laughs> Chelsea again Chelsea come up a lot in um and and you know in the bad examples as well you have uh, Manchester United in there but Chelsea has a good example you know they had a strong core leadership structure of players and it kind of didn't matter what happened outside because the players on the field kept that continuity going and they had almost had succession planning through those players like when you know, even when Drogba left, is that Frank Lampard stepped up and into that role, and he still had John Terry. And you know, it's only after it was like Drogba, Lampard, Terry, and then the next lot who were supposed to be that succession plan kind of also left. Is when Chelsea really lost the dressing room structure a bit.
2: Hey, for once, the feeling I'm starting to get is you're all starting to respect Chelsea <laughs> a bit more these days. I mean, in the last episodes, you guys was like, "Look, this is a good FFP system." Now Ali's like, "You know what? They've got good succession planning in continuity." Oh, I,
3: I, I, don't doubt there's there's smart people at Chelsea, and they definitely, you know, thinking about these things. Uh, I feel, uh, Jose Mourinho, out of all the, you know, all all the all the flaky cops, he created a really good leadership structure at Chelsea in his first round, and that's really carried Chelsea through a big. Big uh big period, a uh, big period of yeah.
0: success. And, and again, ban banter aside, I know Shivank, you've touched on this whenever we've given you grief for going through more managers than most clubs signed players. You were saying that you were able to do that and you were you were able to hire and fire managers. And go from style to style to style because you weren't looking at that manager to provide that leadership. The leadership basically came from, as Ali says, this this, this strong leadership group, right? That they knew they, it didn't matter who the manager was. You kind of had this leadership group that was going to carry on doing what needed to be done. And, it, you know, despite all the turmoil, despite all the managers, uh, again, I, I hate to bring this up. But if we go back and we look at titles over the last 10 years, Kelsey aren't doing too badly, right? Like let, let let's be honest, and, and and there is a lot to be said there about. As much as we talk about having that off the field structure, I I do think that on the field structure is another way to skin that that succession cat.
3: And you know, you you know, Roman Abramovich had terrible no absolutely plan. absolutely because he did not
2: have
3: any kind of succession planning at all he's just like yeah no nah, it's all working out out of here we'll figure out the rest you know
2: look he had a good structure at the top with marina and everyone who did some fantastic negotiation over the years whether that's buying or mm-hmm. selling the prices there was really no succession planning in terms of management or playing yep. style but he had good succession planning on the pitch yes. luckily thanks to Thanks to Mourinho. So, kind
1: of a I'm going to throw it out there. I, I from for all the money that's in the EPL right now in 2023, I think there's probably maybe two, two or three teams that have good succession planning. I think Brighton, Brentford, and I, I was going to put Man City in that box, but I'm not going to not going to say that because they they don't. We've we've already gone through that. They're a bad version of Red Bull.
3: Yeah, and their succession planning is we just go out and buy the best in class who fits our system and we'll put them on our bench.
2: Oh, <laughs> <And> oh.
3: Eventually.
2: <laughs> Calvin Phillips, Yeah, I,
0: I, I hate to say it, lads, but I, I, I do feel we need to put City in that category because if you look at everything that led up to them getting Pep, it was really getting that structure in place so that it would work for Pep, And... I don't see any reason why they can't carry that on. Sure. Sure. Then the guy that comes after Pip may not be as good as Pip, but I think what we will see is stylistically, they're not going to move away from that model that they will carry on playing the same way A- Again, we're not going to see them go from Pip Guardiola to a Jose Mourinho type manager. We're not going to see that.
3: Sam Allardyce, you forgot yeah, Sam yeah. Allardyce, man. Just just, just, as, as, good. Good. just right.
0: as good, just as good.
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's up there. He's you know, on his in his brain. He's yeah. on his footballing level. He's up there. He's there's no one above. No, all
0: him. I'm saying is that there's no so, one, there's no one above uh, Big Sam. There's there's no doubt about that. But that that's a <laughs> that, that's a style that I think the City Group are, are not going to go for, which again speaks to. And identity they know the way they want it's, to play.
3: It really is a City Group's loss. I think they really
2: the the way you measure c- continuity and succession planning is between the last I don't know three coaches that Man City have had. You're looking at Mancini, Pellegrini, and now Pep. Mm. How many play? Uh, how many players did you know were booted out within the first three windows? Uh,
3: a lot, a lot of churn. That's usually a lot of yeah. churn. Mm. So
2: while they had the management structure mm. in place, which has maintained itself because they hired basically the top brass from <laughs> Barcelona as yeah. they left just to get Pep in, the on-field churn was still significant. I
3: love, place. I love that Man City's version of succession planning is to look over and copy, copy your next turn. It's Like, <laughs> geez, it's answer sheet, be like, "Hey Barcelona, what are you doing? With it? What do you got? What do you got on the sheet?" Oh, okay, yeah, 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 we'll we'll copy that structure. And you got Pep Pep down as manager, All right, Yeah, cool, cool. Well this this works for us. Yeah, we well, we just copy this.
1: I, I don't know. I think yeah. Brighton's on a different tier. I I think like if any of the top clubs were doing what Brighton was doing, it'd be it'd be amazing. Not just for not just for the for themselves,
3: but for the league overall. I I don't know if you've if you guys have had a chance to sit down and listen to the Brighton CEO talk about succession planning and talking about. Um, his approach to to Brighton and to leading Brighton and how they've kind of done and dealing with success and how they built Brighton up and man the, he the, the his approach it's uh, obviously a, a business centric approach as well he's actually brought it as a business and he's thinking well ahead and it's not uh, he's taken the emotion even though they are emotional and passionate about the sport he's almost taken the emotion out of it and said, we're going to run as a good organization. And these is, this is what good organizations do. So we're not going to hold on to sentiment. We're going to look after our, pe- but we are going to look after our people. We are going to take care of everyone. We're going to let everyone know that part of your journey is also leaving Brighton and not staying here for the rest of your lives. No one's staying here for the rest of their lives. And it was just, it's just fascinating. It's fascinating. I, I honestly have to say that Brighton would have to be my my second team. Oof. It's just, you know, fascinating, like listening to him, like the way the club is run, the way they manage the like the inside workings in the club, like it sounds amazing. It sounds like a really just well-run organization.
2: Yeah. Um, promoting a competitor and promoting that podcast, but that is well worth a listen to anyone. Um how quickly they had identified amazing. Roberto Serbi as the successor. The successor, how they knew the conditions were right th- um, because of the conflict going on in Ukraine and how they were able to act on it, despite it being September and the season already having started. Amazing to see. And how they basically know the next players they're going to sign for every position. It's just amazing how Brighton run.
1: Yeah, but...
2: The cynic in me though, the cynic in me, wants to always know the answer to this question. How far can you get until the structure mm. th- no longer uh, continues to bring you success? Like, it's amazing where they've gotten to, but can exactly. they actually win the Premier League but or the Champions League?
3: Do they want to win uh, uh, the Premier League and Champions League? And that's the other question, right? Like, Do they actually want to win? And I
0: know this is the Backpass Explains, and we're probably getting too analytical here, but Kevin's question was, well, <laughs> Kevin's comment was, the top club should be running like that can can a man city or a chelsea or a united given everything that goes on around these clubs where there is this demand that you win and you win right now can they make that type of investment where you're saying we're going and i know a friend of the show pavish said this when we got rid of Ole, that he wants to see United go for a five-year model where we perhaps don't win for the next four years and we look five years ahead. I, I just don't think that would work at United. You have to win here and now because you are you are a top club, the same at Chelsea. And and we said this when when Graham Potter was hired that and, Potter is someone who who builds a club. He he needs that time. He needs that coaching. And invariably, he never got that at Chelsea, and he and he, he never he got
3: he got less time than Moyes and Potter had a nineteen year contract.
0: <laughs> that this is it, right? <laughs> and and, and it, it all it all kind of goes back to that point. Will that model work for the top clubs? And do Brighton want to be a Premiership-winning club? And and I think the answer to both of those is no. It won't work at a top club. Well,
3: that. I, I would I would argue with you Grepreet that Ajax do it and do it really well. Now they consistently win the Eredivisie and they go through that, they sell off their best players, they they know where the next players are coming in and of course part of that succession planning. Like you could see it go wrong as well because their successor for Ten Hag was fired 6 months into the season because he wasn't getting the results. All right? So they've kind of gone off course there, but in general, over the longer trend of like mm. the last what 20 years, they've consistently lost their best players and still been uh, been a number one team.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely.
3: Yeah. Like all, all
1: Ajax, Brighton, Benfica, they all make the top clubs. They make a lot of clubs look like they've been run by primary schoolers. <laughs> Which is probably a good segue <laughs> to start talking about the BCCI and some bad examples of succession planning.
0: Uh, Kevin, there's going to be a lot of parents calling you and complaining that you just compared <laughs> their kids to Edward Wood. <laughs> You've just put us in a lot of hot water, my friend.
2: <laughs> hey, they both may have a soft spot for Mr. Chips. <laughs> Stop it.
0: Stop <laughs>
1: it. Oh dear. we can laugh now, um, but it's it's a, it's a depressing topic. Topic when we go into the bad examples. So <laughs> keeping that positivity,
2: Kevin, I do want to raise an exception with what you said. Um, the BCCI would classify as a bad example for succession planning if they ever did any
0: planning. <laughs> he's he's looking for a technicality again. That that is. <laughs>
3: That is true, though. That is true. It you does. have to plan first to be to be bad at it. Is,
1: is it? Is it okay? Uh, I'm going to throw it out here. Is it a? Is it a lack of planning or just a whole bunch of different plans colliding together with no communication?
3: I mean, it, it, I guess that's that's just everyone has their own kind of plan colliding together. Well, uh, okay,
1: hear me out. So. After Anul Kumble was hired and fired, they they brought in Ravi Shastri, right? And he was the team director mm-hmm. at the time. So prior to that, uh, he was probably in charge of developing or bringing new talent into the team. They never got anybody who was remotely as good at that particular job to go back in as team director. So they never backfilled the position. It's like, okay, we have a plan to bring Ravi Shastri here. And we have no idea how we're going to handle this other part of the, you know,
3: process.
2: And there's my point. Yeah.
3: Well, Shastri can do both. He's he's very talented. You know, he was an all rounder.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he'll be commentating at the same time.
3: <laughs> Gee, what's doing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, like, you know, and especially you know, grow, growing up in Australia, comparing that to the Australian team. Um you just compare leadership like when when India had two good captains back up back to back and each captain so you go from you go from um, Emma Stoney, who was developed as a captain who had the skill set and then you have Virat who was brought through that process and developed by Emma stony like that's how Australia was so good for so long because it went like border Taylor uh, War yep. Ponting, even Michael Clark, Smith.
3: yeah, Clark and Smith. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: Smith is probably where it fell over. I think Clark's injury reduced his career span, mm. and so they got a little bit underprepared. And
3: I think also his phone and reduced his career span as well. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> And you missed you missed Tim Payne in there. Like, you know, Tim Payne was definitely not part of the Succession planning no. for Australia.
1: No, he wasn't. No, But I, I think, I, yeah, I, I don't think what would have happened when St- Steve Smith was captain with that whole, you know, Sandpaper Gate scandal. Sandpaper Gate, yeah. Yeah, would have happened under Steve Waugh or Taylor or any of the other captains.
2: Yeah. But Ali, you forgot... The, mo- the most prominent sledge of that time, temporary captain aimed at Tim Payne, because guess what? He wasn't even in the plans. <laughs>
3: he wasn't even in the squad. He wasn't even playing for Australia. They're like, oh, we need a captain. Let's just call on this guy. Let's promote him up and put him in the squad, make him captain. Yeah. But yeah, like uh, Australia, I think, had a great model uh, for for that as well. And, you know, they brought players in. They identified them early, like Ponting was identified really young. And when his form was dropping, uh, when he was in his early, in his early 20s, he got dropped from the squad because they still had identified him as a future captain. And they told him, go back first class cricket, sort it out. And we'll, we'll have you back in the squad in a year or two. And we want you to kind of gear towards leading. And that's exactly what happened. He, he went back to first class, smashed hundred after hundred and, was back in the Australian team. And then, you know, we, we know where he ended up with his hundreds.
0: Great, great example, Ali. And I would say very similar to what we saw Ferguson do time and time again, where there was a really strong leadership group on the field, which meant you could take a part of that component out just when they were showing signs of needing to be replaced and bring another younger part in, and not have them be under so much pressure. If they had a dip in form like Ponting did, if they needed time away for the game because of some sort of controversy, like Wayne Rooney had at times, you could take them out of the pressure, take them out of the limelight, but still keep winning. This is where I think not having a strong leadership group on the field and focusing too much on getting the backroom structures right and getting all of the analysis right and all the tactics right, probably ends up putting too much pressure on the playing group
1: how does that yeah. translate over to the other sports like you know we've talked about epl it's obvious to have that kind of leadership in 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 epl and um in in cricket how does that translate to something like um f1
2: f1 best example ferrari no succession planning mm. of any kind um so, okay so a bit of context about f1 most f1 racing teams they basically operate with a ceo style model wherein the team principal is a part owner of the team of the actual team and you know there's a certain way that things work ferrari isn't like that ferrari is completely different you know um scuderia ferrari is basically one half of the massive ferrari group and yeah, they may have success every now and then because a talented driver or a talented team principal or, I don't know, Mattia Benotto, an engineer like Mattia Binotto basically comes into the team. But otherwise, it's really hard to figure out what they're doing and why they're doing. They have unarguably one of the highest amounts of resources available in F1, yet in the last 15 years, they've barely got any success to show for it, barring a few wins a season which side note seems impossible now with red bull's dominance
0: it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion because i guess f1 is unique in the sense that you've got two elements of leadership you've you've got <laughs> that engineering aspect which let's be honest is massive right like you it doesn't matter how good a driver you are if if the car is a lemon you're you're not going to win But the other aspect of it is succession in terms of the driving talent and bringing the right driving talent through.
2: 100%. Which
0: which again, I think speaks to that overall organizational aspect where you've got to be managing both streams and and, and both streams Mm -hmm. are intensely competitive. So I I think some of the principles we were talking about, Kevin, probably don't carry over directly. Like having that on-field leadership group that does not carry over to drive the the driving aspect of F one, right? Because, like, let's be honest, there's just one, well, one or two drivers, and you'd probably have you've probably got a couple of backups. But in terms of that engineering discipline, I think it absolutely applies, right? If you're looking at developing designs, if you're looking Staying staying ahead as far as engineering goes and ensuring that you lose a key engineer or someone retires and you're able to innovate and you're able to stay ahead of the game. I think those concepts still apply where, where again, like Ali said, you've got to just take the emotion out and just be ruthless, right? You've got to look at it like a business. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I always thought Ferrari was very interesting when it comes to... Um, how they approach F1. I could like, I'm, I'm the same as you, Shivanka I think it's, there's no rhyme or reason. In fact, the only consistency that I can see is that when they have a good car, they're terrible at F1. When they have a bad car, a bad production car, um, they, they're fantastic. They seem to be winning everything. So it's kind of like they don't have enough resources to focus on any one thing at, at any particular point in time. However, I think it'd probably be good now to switch over to interesting examples. I want to talk about how teams have potentially broken up or changed traditional, you know, ideas. So we talk about leadership. We talk about key positions. Um, in, if we take the, the NFL example, Seattle Seahawks are, are, are doing stuff that traditionally is kind of unheard of. So. A little bit of background. Seattle has traded away their uh, top five quarterback, um, and he was in his prime when they traded him. This is something that's pretty rare in the history of NFL. And what they've done essentially is is they've used that pick to leverage um, additional draft picks to bring in more talent and um reduce their overhead, so reduce their salary cost. And at the same time, they have developed a system that's easy enough or, I guess, standard enough for them to be consistently successful regardless of the quarterback talent, as long as it's at a certain level. So they're kind of bucking the trend where, you know, to win a, to win a championship, you need to have a top five quarterback, right? Top qu- Top five quarterbacks are rare. But by trading the quarterback, they've essentially given themselves a longer window to develop and also keep their costs down. So, so they can be successful for a longer period of time. This also affects brand because I mean, it's the same true for, you know, the EPL. If your team's terrible, nobody's going to go watch the games in, in the NFL. If your teams, it's the same thing, right? So keeping your team successful and entertaining. For a longer period of time, because especially at the end of a, you know, like if you think about last year with with us with Cristiano Ronaldo, um, it's not exactly what we would want to remember him as, right? And you know, it's they've they've sort of shortcutted that a little bit on purpose and took and got something out of it. So we've spoken about the technical components. We've spoken about the good, the bad, the interesting. Next week on The Backpass, we'll be diving into why succession planning is so difficult to attain. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you to our panel for their thoughts and opinions on this topic. If you want to get sports nerdy with the team, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Backpass Pod. We'll be back next week with more on succession planning, right here on The Backpass. Pass.